The Dub Jelson Podcast is presented by Indy Lumberjack. They proudly offer reasonable rates, safe, top-quality, courteous, efficient service. Let Indy Lumberjack help you reach your goal of maintaining beautiful and safe trees. They're by far the best in the business. You can get a free quote on IndyLumberjack.com or email IndyLumberjack at gmail.com for inquiries. Again, get a free quote on IndyLumberjack.com. Hello everyone, we're back with another episode of Dub Jelson Podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Mr. Clark Kellogg. Clark, how are you? I'm good, Dub. Great to be with you. Yeah, we're just, uh, right before we started, we were talking about uh, when you went on Jordan Yaney's podcast. Uh, kind of a small world, we graduated high school like a year apart, so it's kind of funny. But Wow, it is less than six degrees of separation, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, this past week, we saw the Champions Classic take place um, between Duke and Michigan State, and then there's also Kentucky and Kansas. Um, obviously, every year, that's one of the biggest um, preseason tournaments, I guess you could call it, or events. Uh, so what were your kind of takeaways um, from that, and specifically the um, Michigan State-Duke game? Yeah, I tell you, it was really interesting watching that Michigan State Duke game because Michigan State was very much on heels most of the early part of that first half. Duke came out really aggressively, got up into them defensively, turned them over. Michigan State seemed to be rushing, missing shots, and yet they found themselves not being blown out. The lead got to low double digits for Duke. And then ultimately, the last part of that first half is when Michigan State basically took control of the game. They actually started to get quality shots. I thought Aaron Henry was huge, close when things were a little bit sloppy and untidy. And then going into the half, Michigan State had full control. They got great play from the bench. Um, Julius Marble came in, gave him a huge. And in the second half, uh, they really kind of dominated the game. I thought Rocket Watts um, took over. Aaron Henry continued to do what he did. But I thought everybody played really well. And Michigan State seemed to find a level of comfort and kind of flipped the script, turned its defense and attacked the goal, got quality shots, and then kind of cruised. Um, Duke made it look a little better at the end. But Michigan State really dominated the last, um, I think, the last 25 minutes of that game. Mm-hmm. And I know, obviously, especially this year with all the COVID and, and everything going on, um, how much emphasis or how much do you take away from these type of games early in the season um, compared to where teams will be in, say, late February, early March? Well, obviously, the backdrop and the front, uh, and the front drop of COVID is going to continue to be a theme, uh, not only in college hoops, but throughout our lives. Not in sight, but there are also some dark days ahead based on what our experts tell us in terms of the spread, the numbers of those infected, and unfortunately, those who uh, may not recover. So clearly, the old where we are as it relates to hoops. Early in the season is always a time of transition, and the transition is on multiple levels, whether it's injured players players that haven't joined you because 
for you factor in COVID now, clearly practice time is disrupted. Uh, that's going to have an effect. So you're going to see some teams, and I really believe uh, this year more than any other, experienced, mature teams are going to have a chance to thrive and rise to the top. And that's always kind of the case, although young talent can sometimes close that experience gap. I think this year, because of all of the uncertainty and the disruption, psychological um, fatigue that many will experience, um, it's going to be uh, tough for younger teams to find their way. Teams like Duke and Kentucky, tremendously talented, but really young and raw. They will get better, but I don't know if they'll be able to significantly close the gap against talented, experienced, and mature teams. So we'll see. Most of the games I've watched, and I've probably watched 40 games already. Uh, most of them have been play, played pretty well. There have been some high-quality matchups. Um, some of it has been sloppy, but um, I think the kids and the officials have done a reasonably good job, all things considered. And we have we have part of the season, but I'm just grateful that in spite of the bumps and they'll continue to come, that uh, it looks like um, at least I'm comp fairly confident that we'll be able to find our way through the season and to a tournament in a bubble type setting um, come March. Mm -hmm. You kind of touched on it. That was one thing that I wanted to ask you was um, this year we really don't have that Zion or R.J. Barrett type type cat um, in college basketball coming in. So do you think it'll be mostly dominated by those older teams like I know Iowa and Illinois in the Big mm -hmm. Ten, two teams that have a lot of experience. So do you think that those teams will kind of rise to the top? Yeah, I do think, again, to my point earlier, that experienced, talented teams are going to have an advantage, maybe more so this year than in past years just because of the impact of COVID on practices and team and so forth. Um, I do think this freshman class, although it doesn't have the bright star of a Zion Williamson, he's another level kind of star as a freshman. Back to like a Ben Simmons, um, the players of that ilk that are potentially number one draft choices. We might have one in Cade Cunningham. Um, Jalen Suggs has been really impressive for Gonzaga, but I think the quality and depth of the freshman class across the country is really rich. So we'll have some of those young players stand out. But teams that rise to the top, Gonzaga and Baylor, clearly to me, are a notch above, a step above everybody else in the country right now. And then you've got Iowa and Illinois. Next year. Florida State will be in that next tier, um, Virginia possibly. Um, so you've got some other suspects. Um, but I do think ultimately you're going to have talented, experienced teams um, find those in the final four. Mm -hmm. And going back to the Champions Classic, um, the other game was Kentucky and Kansas. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Kentucky's going through some growing pains. They're one of the youngest countries are one of the youngest teams in the country this year. They're one in three. What are the issues that you see with them right now, and how do you think that they'll progress throughout the season? Well, the biggest one, when you just look at it statistically, um, is the turnovers. 
throwing the ball to the other team or out of bounds too much. And it's hard to win and be successful against good competition if you're giving them additional possessions. And that's happened pretty much in all three of the losses they've had. They've had 20 turnovers a game. But that's part of being a young team. And how much practice time have they had? How much time have they had prior to the season, the summer conditioning and workouts that typically take place across time? All of that was disrupted. And for young teams especially, it's challenging. And John Calipari does it better than anybody else in the country in terms of shuffling his deck, restarting each year. It's hard. It's extreme. He's made it look easy. It's the hard in the game is to have that kind of turnover, even though the talent is great, still having that kind of turnover. But he's, he's thri- he thrives on that and does it masterfully. But this young team um, will get better, but taking care of the ball, I think, is the one big thing that has to happen. Instead of trying to make home run plays and high school plays, um, these guys have to grow up and understand what a solid play looks like in terms of getting the ball from one place to the other. So um, it'll come, but uh, area where they're struggling the most right now. Mm-hmm. Are there any teams outside of Kentucky that maybe aren't living up to uh, the expectations that the analysts and, and people of that ilk kind of put on them so far? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I tend to shy away from looking at teams falling short of expectations because preseason expectations often aren't really fair mm-hmm. because there's so, so many dynamics to being a good team. And just because you have five-star recruits or you have your guys returning from a good season last year, it's a reset every season, a complete reset, whether you've changed personnel so I always like to look at teams more in after they've had six, seven games. As a matter of fact, I know the preseason rankings are fun to talk about and debate-worthy. The game better if teams weren't ranked until mid-December in a normal year or until after they've played at least half a dozen games or so. And even then, you're going to have teams change. So I don't look at teams falling short of expectations because I don't have any grand expectations. I have some thoughts in my mind about what I think teams will be, but until you get them all on the floor, it's much like before they started playing games, I'm preparing for the season, and all I'm doing is reading about the analyze. I mean, it's a way to get information, but there's no way to analyze from a piece of paper what a team's going to look like between the lines. So until they start playing, I don't like to give um, – I don't like to – position myself to think about expectations. I believe this team could be good because of these pieces. And if I know the personnel, then I love to be able to have in my own mind where I think this team could go and what it could become. But I like to wait until there's some some food in the refrigerator before we start trying to put put a meal together. Are there, so with that being said, are there any teams that have maybe surprised you? Uh, me personally, I thought, I didn't think Texas was going to be all that great. And they've, they've come out and played extremely well to be in the season. Yeah, I, that would certainly be a team that I had an eye on because I knew Shocker Smart had some talent and some returning veterans coming back. And mm-hmm. they've got a terrific senior point guard and Matt Cole. 
So you look at a team like Richmond, um, just about everybody coming back, senior, late, tough, uh, ready to take another step. Um, St. Louis, uh, much the same way. Uh, so those were teams that be pretty good. And so Missouri is a team. I just saw them recently and um, the start that Conzo Martin's team has gotten off to. Um, when you think about it, they've got size, they've got experience, they've got good backcourt players. But yet, going back to my point about expectations and preseason rankings, they're picked 10th in the SEC. And so <clears throat> if you watch them play and watch the other teams, you're like, man, that looks like an upper division SEC team. So, again, that's a team that perhaps is going to exceed preseason um, expectations. But I like what I saw in the, in the games that I've saw, seen them play. So those are a couple of teams that, that I've seen that, um, you know, kind of jump out. But Texas clearly would be one off to a really good start on the last game they played. A good game that they just came up short in. <clears throat> um, so this week, I mean, we've been so lucky and blessed with so many great – great matchup so far and this week we had the Big Ten ACC challenge um some of the games I mean just just crazy Duke Illinois Iowa UNC Michigan State Virginia um I mean that's college basketball fans paradise right there so how do you see we can go game by game how do you see the Duke Illinois game going what do you think will be the key factors well, I'm not looking at any updated news. I'm assuming that all of these games are expected to be played um, yep. currently. And with that being, Io DeSumo is a player of the year candidate, not only in the conference, but in the country. Um, Duke's talented freshmen are really good. Uh, and they're going to get better. You know that. Um, so they'll be chomping at the bit after being at Michigan State to um, show what, they, what they've got. Um, but I like Illinois' balance. I like um, the size they have up front. The key for Illinois is Coburn being able to stay on the floor. You know, he's a big presence, a force on the court. But getting into foul trouble. And so they're a different team when he's not able to be there. So that'll be one of the things I'd watch in that one is how much can Coburn play and can he keep himself on the court and out of foul trouble. But I think it would be a terrific early think about um, – that particular game. And Iowa is deep and Garz is much like Gonzaga and Baylor. He separated himself in terms of the player of the year race. He'll have some company and some challenges, but right now, watching college basketball, and he's not by himself. I mean, he's got a really good team of um, shooters, um, ball handlers, um, additional bangers. I mean, they've got, they've got a nice balanced roster. It's going to be a lot of fun, which is typically the case when the Big, Big Ten and ACC um, square off. Mm -hmm. And then the final game that uh, kind of caught my eye was Michigan State-Virginia. There's actually two brothers going to be playing against each other in the Hauser <laughs> brothers, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And both of them are good. Both mm -hmm. of them are really good. I love Joey's versatility. Uh, he can go inside and out. I love the toughness Michigan um, so, yeah, and Virginia is one of those teams that's expected to be at the top of the heap. And um, everybody's going through um, the adjustments that take place during the season. And so these are just markers in time 
as they play these games, it's an indication of where they are now, but not of an indication necessarily of where they might end up being. So it's just a good way to um, evaluate and measure teams. And I know the players uh, and even the coaches, although the coaches always like to talk about how they uh, don't like. I mean, I think coaches love these kind of games too, quite honestly. I mean, mm -hmm. these are games that excite the fans. They certainly ramp up the juices of the players. And I think the coaches too enjoy. I just think it's really good for these kind of matchups to take place. And I'm actually – I haven't seen Virginia much. I just watched segments of them. Um, and I know Michigan State really pretty well because I've watched them a few times. So I'm anxious to see the, uh, watch them closely to this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm super excited. Um, I mean, my own Purdue Boilermakers are taking on Miami tomorrow – or tonight, actually. Um, yeah, that would be a good one, too. Uh, be a good one too, Doug, because Miami's got some um, skilled and talented players, and Purdue is solid. Love Matt Painter. He's one of the more, um, and it's a shame, but I think he's one of the best coaches in the game and tends to get um, overlooked nationally, but year in and year out, um, typically gets the most out of what he has, and that to me is always a marker of, of an outstanding coach. Then he's fun to talk to. He's, um, he's yeah. hilarious talking basketball with him. He's, uh, he's as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. I I had the honor of having him on the podcast and it was kind of crazy looking up to him since I was four or five years old, finally getting a chance to talk to him similar to you. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah, man, it's just crazy. Oh, he's good people. And I know he's got to be thrilled. He loves the Steelers too. Doesn't he, isn't he a big pit? Uh, I don't, I don't remember if he is or not. You guys, you guys didn't talk, you guys didn't talk football. I think he is. I think I recall him on, being a Steelers fan, I think I may be off, but if he is, he's um enjoying doing so far. Mm -hmm. Well, they just lost yesterday, and your Cleveland Browns are sneaking up on him. He has a nine and three. Oh man, I love the man. You know, I'm a diehard Browns fan. Cleveland native used to go to those games. Stadium <laughs> with my dad. They were policemen, so they would work in the what's now called the dog pound whenever fans are there. And um, I used to hang out in there and um, man, so happy to see what looks like a team that should, should has it will make the playoffs this year. And then hopefully um, be a regular playoff participant going forward. They got great defense, um, really good quarterback. The running backs are amazing. Mm -hmm. Chubb and Hunt, those two boy. I don't know if any, anybody in the league has a pair that are doing the world's good. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Browns. It's been, been a little while since I could stick my chest out about um, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, uh, my dad's a police officer, and I always wanted him to kind of go work the Colts game so I could go, or maybe he could go and, like, stand on the sideline or something like that, but uh, he was never really about it. Um, I mean, how is it like being – being a Browns fan, obviously, I have a couple friends that are Browns fans, and they've been miserable up until, like, this past year. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, hey, man. Hey, you know how it is, though. Hey, when you're hey, a team, when you root for a team, you're with them thick and sour. So it's been more sour and tough the last several years. Glimmers of hope significant instability in the front office, which gives you really no chance to have lasting success. 
I think the Haslam family has finally landed on a coach and GM that look like they can be on there for a while and successful together. And that continuity is huge. And then obviously on the field, you got to have talent. I mean, in the, at the highest levels, uh, slowly but surely they've stockpiled. I mean, Garrett on the defense, along with some of his colleagues there, uh, and they got they got playmakers. And I think Baker's terrific as a quarterback, a little undersized, but his strengths high-level strengths. I mean, his ability, he's got a good arm. They move him around. And the running back, the running game, that offensive line. So it looks like a playoff football team that could and should be one for several years to come. So that's um, that's a reason for great hope now. It's been real, but the rejoicing is sweet right now. Mm -hmm. Did you have any, like, pause about Baker Mayfield as a quarterback? Um, obviously, he's had his struggles, but he's also had great success. No, I always try to focus on what is it that a player can do. I mean, you can always take a look at deficiencies and weaknesses, but what are his strengths? Um, he's a leader. It seems like his guys rally around him. He's got a great arm. He's got – he's fearless. Uh, he's smart. And those – I thought he I thought he, was, I thought he could be a franchise quarterback in, in his mold, not in the mm -hmm. prototypical mold of a, of a Manning or somebody of that – or a Roethlisberger. No, he's not that, but he can be really, really good. And I think this coordinator and coaching staff are going to accentuate his strengths. He's got a nice receiving core. Uh, the pieces are in place, and I think he can be, in fact, the, uh, that winning franchise quarterback uh, now and going forward. Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to college basketball, obviously the Big Ten is absolutely loaded right now. You got, like you mentioned, <laughs> Iowa, Illinois, uh, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Rutgers, your alma mater, Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And then you got teams just outside the top 25, Michigan, Indiana. And I think people are sleeping on Purdue, but I'm a little biased. Um, how do you see the Big Ten playing out this year? Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, well, it's tough. It's the toughest league in the country. And I like to evaluate leagues. How many Final Four caliber teams do you have? How many potential Sweet 16 teams do you have? How many tournament teams do you have? I mean, that to me is a way to fairly evaluate a conference. That means top, bottom, top, middle, and bottom. Is there quality in all of those segments? And there clearly is. I mean, Nebraska and Minnesota, I think, are going to be much improved. Rutgers mm -hmm. is going to be in the mix. Uh, uh, you know, Penn State has, has lost a number of guys over the last couple of years, but uh, the league is just brutal. It really is. It's really brutal. It'll be fun to see, it's going to be fun to see how those teams, uh, one, how many games we're able to get. And those teams that are outside of the top tier, how many of them might bump up into that top tier? You know, that can always happen. Uh, well, we had three teams tied for the regular season title last year, right? And so uh, it's the same quality. Um, as it was a year ago, and clearly the, um, the toughest and best league in the country uh, when you evaluate it uh, in terms of quality and depth. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of touched on it a little bit throughout the, the interview, but um, most notably we, we missed out on the Gonzaga-Baylor game the other day. I was really bummed about that. Um, I know you were too. I know you tweeted something out. Um, so 
how do you think college basketball has performed in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic and trying to keep cases isolated and keep games going? I think they've done a remarkable job. It's a really hard needle to thread uh, on multiple, multiple levels. One, you've got league out over 300 teams. We know the Ivy League has decided not to play it all this year. Um, I think a couple of schools in the MEAC conference have elected not to play as well. Um, but it's a challenge because the protocols, while you form in terms of safe and healthy, um, um, the health and safety of the athletes being prioritized, it's a little different in terms of resources, how you're able to test, how often, uh, how can you kind of, and, and the sacrifice the players and coaches and staffs to make um, and see the amount of um, discipline and sacrifice that's required to attempt to, to do what's being done is um, it's sobering and remarkable at the same time. So when I look at each day in games that are scheduled to be played over the week and a half that we've been at it, maybe two weeks now, 25th. So yeah, we're close to two weeks now. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking at typically 75 plus percent of the games going on as scheduled. And that means a quarter are being postponed or canceled and three quarters are being played. That's when you go from nothing to three quarters to the games being played in this environment, I'm for trying to continue to make that number be what it is and hopefully go up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm grateful that we have basketball back. I know it's not the most important thing in this world. It is important. And so the fact that we're able to do it uh, and be part of it is a, is a blessing. And um, I'm pretty, I'm reasonably confident we'll continue to hopefully stay at that rate of games played to games being postponed. And we'll continue to move towards um, a March Madness culmination of, of some, form, perhaps, some form, perhaps even more in a, in, a, in, a, in a little bit more of a bubble environment with the 68 teams that, that turn. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, I think that it makes all the sense in the world to do, just do a bubble, um, especially yeah. since the whole, um, the whole NCAA tournament will be in Indy, Indianapolis. Um, I had Seth Greenberg on and he was talking about the kind of the pod system, I guess, where you'd have teams like maybe play at IU and then a different set of teams play at Indiana and then Butler and so on. Uh, do you think that's how things are going to operate? And what do you think happens if there is an outbreak? Because um, I don't know how long they'll go between the end of the regular season and the conference tournaments to the uh, March Madness. Yeah, those are all questions that I'm being considered and looked at by all of the medical and health professionals in addition to the decision makers at the NCAA. Um, clearly, the one location, the regionalized single location makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Uh, you factor in, you'll have, because it'll be down to the 68 in the NCAA tournament. Um, but in terms of, um, and, and we know that uh, from what we've seen with the NHL and the NBA, that some type of bubble environment has been being able to maybe replicate something close to that at the collegiate level um, makes a lot of sense resources um, to make that happen are, 
uh, our question, but I, I do think that we can continue and we continue to, we get to a point where some of the spread is starting to diminish in the, in, in the world and in the country so that that trickles down into the, the, um, the, the athletes and, and, and those uh, basketball a tough few weeks, several weeks ahead based on um, where we are with the virus. And yet, um, if we can get through that, then uh, my hope is that things will start to show a little better in terms of uh, spread being reduced and the rate of infection going down, which would bode well for, for all of us, clearly, but also would bode well for, um, for, for basketball. Mm-hmm. And I know we're about out of time, but uh, one question I wanted to ask was, what's the best game in all of your years of – what's the best game that you've ever called? Wow, man. You know, I've been at it for a long time, Doug. The Pacer game for 20-plus years on TV and radio saw some great games with the really good Pacers teams during the Reggie Miller era uh, at the collegiate level. Wow, man, so many. I would probably go back to a game, one of my first tournament games in the early 90s. Vern Lundquist and I called a Cal-Duke game. Um, I can't remember what round of the tournament it was. I think we were in Chicago, but I know kid was on the floor. I'm um, Lamont Murray, um, I think Grant Hill, Hurley. I mean, there were – there were half a dozen NBA players, great college players on the court. And the game was an exciting, fun game. Up and down, entertaining. And our broadcast team had a really good time calling that game. Um, so that would be one that would stand out. Um, I called five championship games when I was out working with um, Jim Nance and our our, 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 our crew. And probably the Louisville-Michigan game in terms of entertainment, quality of play, um, pace of play of the championship games that I had the privilege to call. That was probably one. And that makes it one of the best games I've called in in my broadcasting career, one of the more memorable ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean – I'm going to have to wrap this up, but Clark, thank you so much for coming on. Um, It's truly an honor, and uh, hopefully we get to see some more college basketball. Everyone stay safe. Uh, I wish you to stay safe, too. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Doug. Great to be with you. And stay safe and healthy out there, everybody. Enjoy the season, and Merry Christmas, and and Happy New Year to, to all of you. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas. Take care. All right. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, bye-bye.